Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. This week, we pick up in chapter 20 of Revelation. We'll find out what lies ahead for the devil and his cohort, the Antichrist. And we'll also find out what the bottomless pit is and why the devil is thrown in. Let's get into it. Chapter 20, uh, When the Devil Dies. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless uh, this time in your word here in our church building, but also as it goes out through YouTube. And uh, Lord, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we left off, we had just begun chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. The rapture's already taken place. Uh, The seven-year tribulation is now officially over. You have the rapture. Seven-year tribulation, the false prophet and Antichrist have been thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, Jesus had come back at the valley of Megiddo and uh, thrown him into the lake of fire. Uh, Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Satan is or will be locked up in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Uh, This time of Satan being locked up in the bottomless pit is known biblically as the millennial kingdom comes from a, a Latin word meaning millennial. So we get the millenn- or, or the, a Latin word meaning millennial, which is uh, a thousand. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Um, millennial. So hence we get the thousand-year kingdom or the millennial kingdom. It's also known as, a.k.a. the messianic kingdom. Again, it's a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. So you tracking? Okay, rapture, seven-year tribulation period. Uh, don't forget the peace plan uh, that may be coming. The, the rapture, seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back. Antichrist, false prophet, thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem. That's where we are uh, tonight. Um, during this millennial kingdom or messianic kingdom, when Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, Israel will be the superpower of the world. Right now, people don't like Israel. And then they aren't going to have a choice. It will be the leading nation in all the earth. And the center of Israel will be the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It will also be the capital of the government of Jesus. This is so cool. The enemy hates the Jews and hates Israel because of this right here. The enemy doesn't want Jesus coming back. But this is what the Bible teaches us. So it makes sense. Why is there such a spiritual battle against the Jews and of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, why would anybody really care about Jerusalem? How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Several of you. Um, you look at Jerusalem, it's not like Maui or something, you know? And you look, well, why would the world make such a big deal over a small city, a small nation? It's because of this problem right here. The devil knows that it is where the Lord, Yeshua, is going to come back and rule and reign from. And God says that is his, and it is his capital, and you better believe it's going to go down like that. The devil doesn't like that. Uh, The citizens of the earth, during this thousand-year messianic kingdom, will acknowledge and submit to the lordship of Jesus. It will be a time of perfectly administered righteousness. There will be no war, and any conflict that arises will be resolved by Jesus, the King of kings. Amen. By the way, all of these will be online uh, they're online live, uh, live right now, so you can check them out tonight if you want to write down the verses and uh, substantiate these things, cross-reference. They're all available. They are, they are every week. During this time, 
A little child will be able to lead a wolf, leopard, young lion, or a bear. There will be no danger from venomous snakes. Also, King David will have a prominent place on the earth. What else? There will be true, not fake, blessing and security for national Israel. During the time of Antichrist and the coming peace covenant, it's going to be a fake peace plan, a, 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 a not true peace plan, but true peace will come. The people will claim peace and safety. We hear that right now, but true peace is not going to come until Jesus returns. In fact, in Psalm 122, verse 6, where the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what you are really praying for at that time is for the Lord to return at the end of the tribulation period and right all of the wrongs. It will be a time of purity and devotion to God. There will be a rebuilt temple and temple service, most likely as a memorial to God's work in the past. So mark that. This is strange. There's going to be a working temple in Jerusalem during the time of the millennial kingdom. Now, I'll probably do a topical message on that sometime in the future. It brings a lot of confusion to people. People say, well, Jesus is here. Why is there a temple? Why are certain things still going on in the temple during the millennial kingdom? Nevertheless, there will be a working temple in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. Uh, those that were believers in Christ will, in their resurrected bodies, be given responsibility according to how they conduct their life before they have died. We are going to get to that place tonight uh, about the rewards and our resurrected bodies. Um, but let's see how this goes. Revelation chapter 20. You ready? Verses 1 through 3. We, we finished that last time, but let's just uh, get our bearings and read through that again. Uh, John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain is in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for 1,000 years. And he cast Satan into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the 1,000 years were finished. But after these things, the devil, Satan, must be released for a little while. Why? Well, let's see why. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So let's stop here for a few minutes and, and answer some questions, all right? First two questions, excuse me, have to do with the resurrection. Uh, so we read here, number one, uh, what is the first resurrection? Here we find out, we just read it, verse 4, that there is a resurrection for those who were beheaded during the tribulation period and they did not submit to uh, the Antichrist, nor did they receive the mark of the beast. They are those who, who have not received Christ at the time of the rapture. 
So they go into the tribulation. They've heard the gospel preached by someone like you. They've seen it online or whatever. And they've said, "Uh uh-oh, this is the time that we were warned about. So when the mark of the beast comes about, they're going, "Uh uh-oh, those crazy Christians, I think they were right. And they receive Christ during the tribulation period. That's what's going on here. So he's saying there's going to be this first resurrection of those who received Christ, and they were beheaded during the tribulation. They were beheaded because they would not receive the mark of the beast. So this calls this, in verse 6, the first resurrection. Well, wait a minute. If the rapture takes place here, if then we have seven years of tribulation, and then there's a resurrection at the end of the tribulation, then isn't the rapture the first resurrection? What's with this resurrection over here? It's called the first resurrection. Right? Because this is what the Bible says. First Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together there goes my voice. I'm going through puberty. Will you pray for me? It's just going to happen. I've got, I don't know what happened. About an hour ago, I started, my voice just started going, woo. So anyways, uh, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So what's this talking about? This is talking about uh, the rapture of the church. It's that time, that's what caught up is. Remember that? Caught up comes from the Greek word harpazo. It means catching up. So before the tribulation begins, the dead, those who are, let's say somebody you know has, has died yesterday, and they're a believer in Christ. Their body's in the grave. Their soul is in the presence of the Lord. They are waiting for the resurrection of their body. At this time, at the time of the rapture, the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ will rise. If the rapture were to happen tomorrow, your friend will rise tomorrow, and then we simultaneously will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Hence, the rapture. And then after that, the tribulation begins. And then you get to the end of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. That's seven. The end of the seven-year tribulation, we read here that there is, wait a minute, the first resurrection. Well, that is now, I'm really confused. The rapture is the first resurrection, but the end of the seven-year tribulation is the first resurrection. What on earth is going on here? Listen, the first resurrection is a series of events. Think of it like this. Let's say you're going to build a house. The crew that lays the foundation is part of it. So is the plumbing crew and the roofing crew. They are all different events. This one begins here, and then the next one, and the next one. But they are all part of the one house. Likewise, different events, but one resurrection, the first resurrection. Here's the good news. This is an eternal, physical resurrection for all of God's children, never to die again. Remember what we just read also? There's a second death. Although believers will die once, uh, we're going to live twice. We live here and then we live again. But those who do not know Christ, there's a second death, which is actually judgment. It's not annihilation. I'm going to get into annihilation in a few more minutes. But this is the hope that the believers had. It's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 11 to Mary and Martha when they were bothered when their brother Lazarus had died. 
And they're saying, Lord, if only you had been here, our brother Lazarus would still be alive. Jesus responded, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So it's time because there's going to be this resurrection into heaven, never to have the spiritual death. Okay, we're talking about resurrection. So if there is a first resurrection, right? Because Jesus says here, or the Bible says here, the first resurrection, does that mean then that there is also a second resurrection? Yes, there is. And it's not so pleasant. Verse 5, again, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. That really should be in parentheses. Because the Bible is speaking here in verses 4 through 6 of the first resurrection, and then right in the middle, yes, but the rest, those who weren't part of the first resurrection, they did not resurrect until the end of the 1,000-year period. So what is that? Uh, According to verse 5, those who reject Christ, who do not receive the salvation of Christ, will be resurrected at the end of the 1,000 years for judgment. We'll get into the judgment in a few more minutes. Check out this chart up here. Um, you see the, the, the prophecy timeline. You see the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period. At the very end, I don't, uh, I forgot my pointer. Eh, it never works half the time anyways. At the end, uh, on the right-hand side, you see where it says second coming in blue. Can you see that? You can see it on that screen if you can't see it on that one. Um, and there's a little section there that says millennial 1,000 years. It really should be giant because the rest of it's seven years, but we couldn't fit 1,000 years on the screen. Uh, so what happens is uh, the first resurrection happens when Jesus comes back and he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. The second resurrection, the resurrection to the judgment of non-believers, happens at the end of the tribulation, uh, at the end of the, excuse me, at the end of the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Make sense? First resurrection, second resurrection. Okay, let me show you this. Uh, John chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking. That's what Jesus said. It's after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and then he's getting into a conversation with the religious rulers. He says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. Ready? Jesus explained this here in John chapter 5. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, who's all? Everybody, right? Believer and non-believer, that's what he's talking about here. All who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That is the first resurrection spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, the resurrection of eternal judgment. This is why, verse uh, verse 6 says this, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. In other words, blessed or oh how happy is the one who's resurrected because of Christ. Oh, how happy, because you are not going to go through the judgment that comes from being resurrected at the end of the millennial kingdom because you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen, when Jesus says, you will not die if you believe in him, he is speaking of this second, the, the, the second resurrection and the second death as is listed here in Revelation chapter 6. You will not suffer that spiritual death, which is judgment, the place that the Bible describes as hell. That's a praise report. So I, I don't want to finish right here and just have a whole downer for the rest of our time together. But we look at the two resurrections. Let's go back now uh, for a minute, or a couple of minutes, to the first resurrection because there's some blessings that are going to come here too that we find out from Revelation chapter 20. So this takes us to the next question. You guys tracking with me so far? There's the first resurrection. At the end of the thousand years, there's a second resurrection. Got it? The first resurrection, good. Second resurrection, uh, very bad. Uh, very, uh, very bad. That's a resurrection to eternal judgment. Uh, so here it is. So what determines, this applies to the first resurrection, how believers will reign in the messianic kingdom. Um, look at verse 6. Again, blessed and holy who has part in the first resurrection. Oh, how happy, man, it's good for you. Over such the second death has no power. Look at this. But they, those who are part of the first resurrection, those who are believers in Christ, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. The Bible, listen, the Bible speaks of rewards for believers. These rewards are based on judgment there's two different judgments there goes my voice again pray for me i'm only like 14 years old tonight or something i don't know what's going on with my voice okay believers there's a judgment coming for believers that's what this is teaching you ever heard that there's a judgment for believers there's a judgment for non-believers but the judgment for believers is different praise the lord um, as believers listen we will be judged not for eternal judgment, but we will be judged for rewards. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to be in heaven, praise the Lord, and you will be in the millennial kingdom, but your rewards and what you will be doing in the coming kingdom will be based upon your motives, your actions, your words, words that you have shared that have torn others down, words you have shared that have lifted others up, how you represented Christ, how you misrepresented Christ. Those rewards will be passed out, according to this, at this time, at the time of the first resurrection, when Jesus comes to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Now, I have friends to teach. For us who die now, uh, we're going to get our rewards as soon as we get to heaven after the rapture, and, and then we'll come back to heaven, back to earth to rule with Jesus with our rewards already exactly how that works out i don't know i don't want to argue with my friends but i do know this those in the millennial kingdom those who are those who come to christ during uh, the tribulation period they are definitely receiving their rewards at this point because this is what the bible teaches regardless for all believers whether you're a believer now or you become a believer during the tribulation period there is a reward and the reward is based upon your actions your words and so forth this is what the Bible teaches us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Uh, but on the judgment day, 
fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. You tracking with the description the Bible is giving us? Okay. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So in other words, our motives, our actions, our words, all of these things, yes, we are saved, however, we're still going to be judged. So be careful what you say. It's about having a Christ-like attitude and the rewards are going to be passed out. Here in chapter 20, verse 6, according to this, there's kings and there's priests. Uh, that's one type of reward that's going to be given to us as ruling like a king or ruling like a priest. As a king, um, we, we would think of political reign. Some apparently in the millennial kingdom, while Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, there's going to be governors. I don't know what they'll be called. There will be mayors uh, on this planet. I don't know what they're going to be called. Jesus is going to be appointing us to different positions according to our faithfulness to his code that he has set out for us. Um, I don't know. Pastor Tom may be the mayor of Hemet for, for the millennial kingdom. Who knows? Wouldn't that be glorious? Listen, I do know this. If that's what Jesus appointed me to, then praise the Lord. You know, you, and, you, and you look at that. So there's going to be this political type of ruling and reigning, but there's also going to be a spiritual type because we are told here uh, this also includes spiritual reign as priests. It says here in verse 6, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years and we're also going to be kings with him. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, I believe it is, says this, and the angels who did not keep, oops, I got the wrong verse. In chapter 1, verse 6 of the book of Revelation says, and he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I don't understand what all this means to be a priest ruling and reigning with God. Does that apply to Jewish believers only? Does that apply to Gentile believers who will be ruling and reigning uh, during the millennial kingdom? I don't know. But I do know that there are various rewards that are passed out. I think of this when I get to heaven, maybe even in the millennial kingdom. I like, I shared this with you before we were going through our heaven series uh, a few years ago. I like to, I just like to plant things. I like to plant fruit trees and vineyards and all kinds of things. I plant and, and I was working on these things yesterday at home and, and I'll work on them again next week. I really enjoy that stuff. I imagine uh, in the coming kingdom, the Lord might have me tending to vineyards tending to orchards or something like that in the millennial kingdom i don't know maybe that'll be my title i'll be a foreman uh, of of some fruit orchard i don't know how all this is going to work but i do know that there are rewards that are passed out according to our faithfulness and our actions our words and so forth are going to be judged so i know this i want to be as faithful as possible and say lord search me um i, I heard john corson teaching one time have you heard of john corson I guess several of you, so you'll, you'll get this. So he is teaching one time when the rewards are passed out. He goes, no matter where you end up in heaven, you're just going to be happy to be there. And then he said this. He said, he said, but imagine this. Some of you, he said, 
you weren't doing all that great in your Christianity. You still got in, like by fire, right? But you got in. But he said, you ever see that monkey that just is wound up and he's just banging like this? You'll be banging. You'll have a smile on your face for all of eternity. Woo! Just banging away on the cymbals. Or, or he's he liking it to a kid with pots and pans. He pulls them out of the kitchen. Mom just sits them on the floor. He's happy. <laughs> you know? Hey, but we'll, we'll be happy there. I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be like a toddler in heaven forever and ever and ever. But I'll be happy. The, the, the point is, uh, this is meant to motivate us to love and to uh, good works. Amen? And to help us understand, there really are rewards that are, and our hearts are going to be evaluated. Um, number four, why is Satan let out of the bottomless pit at the end of the thousand years? That's a good question. Now, when, verse seven, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So again, what do you have? You have the, the rapture, seven-year tribulation, end of tribulation, Jesus comes back. He rules and reigns from Jerusalem. It's the millennial kingdom. It's totally cool. We're reigning as kings and priests with the Lord for the thousand years. The, uh, Satan has been locked up in the bottomless pit for the thousand-year millennial kingdom. But at the end of that millennial kingdom, it tells us here, verse 7, Satan's let out. Why? Why did Jesus do such a thing? Verse 8. Satan will be released from the, his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. That'd be the north, south, east, west. Think of it that way. Gog and Magog. Hey, I've heard that before. Is that Ezekiel 38? Well, we'll see about that in a minute. Don't say yes so fast, mister. Gog and Magog. To gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. In other words, a whole lot of people on the planet are going to rebel against the Lord. A whole lot of people at the end of the millennial kingdom. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. In other words, they're going to attack Jerusalem and the believers in Christ. Huh? I thought everybody was going to love us. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Oh, too bad, so sad. Uh, the devil who deceived them, verse 10, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So why is Satan uh, let out of the bottomless pit at the end of the thousand years? I think it's fairly simple. Uh, it's the final opportunity for men and women to operate with free choice. Uh, those that do not love God will choose evil again. Uh, uh, I shared this with you before I'll share it again. But here we have in this world, right now, major arguments regarding abortion. I mean, it is getting to uh, levels we've never had in this country before. I find abortion appalling. I also find the fact that Jesus forgives uh, anybody who would come to him, including a woman who's had an abortion or two abortions or even three abortions. I know that I've met many women who are believers in Christ, and it's fantastic to see. There's grace and forgiveness, and there's a lot of confusion. I was talking with some teenage girls recently who seem to be pretty sweet and nice, uh, just friends of the family, and uh, they're buying into the lies that abortion is just a, a woman's right to choose, and it doesn't affect anybody, so stay out of it. Well, it affects the baby, but you know, they don't consider that a baby, so... You know, we, we work through those things, and we pray for people. Uh, Jesus loves them, right? But at the same time, you just look at this logic on this right to choose. A pre-born turtle uh, it, here in America, if you, uh, 
In other words, a turtle egg. You ruin it, it's a $100,000 fine one year in prison. For a turtle. Preborn eagle, if you kill it, $250,000 fine two years in prison. Uh, Preborn human, zero penalties. Praise from Hollywood, praise from the media, praise even from many in churches. Right, so we have this strange thing. God, uh, think of this. God is still going to give men and women at the end of the millennial kingdom the right to choose. It's one final rebellion. There are many who say in this world, well, if so-and-so were raised in the right environment, then they wouldn't have turned out this way. God is going to prove that that's a lie. There are many people that are raised in very bad environments, and they excel out there for the cause of righteousness and the Lord Jesus Christ, and actually excel in all kinds of things. And there's many who are raised in fairly decent environments, uh, Christian homes even, and, 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 and they turn really bad. Um, here's the reality of it. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus is going to be ruling with a rod of iron from Jerusalem. We're going to be kings and priests serving with the Lord in whatever capacity according to our reward. We're going to be all over the planet. People are not going to be able to get out of line. The nature of men and women without God is sin. And so this is in them. Satan is let out of this prison. He's smarter than all the people on the planet. And although they number like the sands of the sea, there are so many people on the planet, they are easily inspired by Satan when he gets out. God is proving that you don't even need to say the devil made me do it. These people, there's going to be a whole bunch, probably billions of people at the end of the millennial kingdom that hate the Lord, even though they live in a perfect world, unstained by war and all kinds of stuff. And they're still going to rebel against the Lord. No matter how good things are, they are still going to say, I do not want him. They won't even be able to say, the devil made me do it. They're just not going to want the Lord. They're going to still have their selfish sin nature. And uh, so Satan's going to be able to rise up and prove, "Mm, man's heart is deceitful and wicked. God's going to give the perfect environment to, to eliminate that excuse from people. Next question. So where do these probably billions of people come from at the end of the millennial kingdom? Uh, They are left over from the tribulation period. Here's what happens during the tribulation period. Get to the end of the tribulation. Not everybody is going to die. Do you know that? I have many Bible prophecy teachers who are are convinced that everybody's going to die right at the end of the tribulation period. I don't see that in the Bible. There are going to be people who don't know the Lord that didn't die with all of the judgments that are going to go on into the millennial kingdom and they're going to have babies and their babies are going to have babies and their babies are going to have babies and people's lifespan is going to become enormous again like it did back in the days of the book of Genesis before the flood. So you're going to have this massive lifespan and people are going to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. They will hear the truth. They will hear it all the time. They will see it in action and yet they will still reject the Lord. Now back to this. So we're told here, verse, what was it, verse uh, 8. So Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, 
Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So billions of people, they're numbered as the sands of the sea. We have this Gog-Magog battle. Is this Gog and Magog of verse 8 of chapter 20 the same battle as Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39? I say no. Again, I have friends that teach Bible prophecy. They say that I'm wrong. I say that they are so wrong. Um, just, just because I know I'm right. Um, it just doesn't, to, to me, it doesn't, it, it doesn't fit. When you look at Ezekiel chapter 38, you find it's in the last days when Israel's gathered back as a nation again. Uh, they've, got, uh, they've, they've, they've got Israel. The Jews are back in the land. You have Russia and Iran and Turkey coming against them from the north. And, I mean, all, everything's laid out for them. It, it does not fit the millennial kingdom at all. Um, but anyways, some of my friends think it does, but, but I, I don't believe so. Uh, think of it like this. I think the Gog Magog here is being used for a different description. Um, let me illustrate with this one word. Here's one word, Waterloo. Now, when a lot of you think of Waterloo, you, you, you understand uh, what it can mean. So think of this. Napoleon was exiled, and after he regained his power, he led a final disastrous battle near the town of Waterloo in present-day Belgium. All right, so you have that. Now, if you look up the word Waterloo in Merriam-Webster online dictionary, the battle, the town of Belgium, and the other towns with that name are listed secondary. Look up Waterloo, go online later, and check it out. In Webster's, the primary dish definition of the word Waterloo is this, a decisive or final defeat. The Gog and Magog War will carry a, a similar connotation of that day. It will mean a war of rebellion against God aimed at Jerusalem, as we read here, and of God's people, and it ends in disaster. It will be decisive and final defeat for Satan and for all of the people who are rebelling against God and his people at the end of the tribulation period. So as Gog, Magog War of Ezekiel chapter 38 is very specific to Russia and Iran and Turkey coming against Israel, the descriptions are all there. Gog and Magog, like Waterloo, is used here in Revelation chapter 20 to describe a very decisive final defeat. Does that make sense? Listen, it makes a lot more sense if you know your Bible. Believe me, it makes sense. It is a decisive and final defeat. Uh, number seven, how long will Satan's rebellion be? And not very long. Verse nine, they went up, as those who are, who are uh, going to battle with Satan, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That would be Jerusalem or Jesus. I mean, Jesus is on the throne. They're surrounding Jerusalem. This is, this is nuts. I would imagine these battles, they're, they're rising up all over the world. So you're appointed to him at California. There's going to be some right here. You thought you were going to get out of it by the end of the millennial kingdom. You are not. You're going to be here with me. You ever thought of that? We could be fighting together in this? Better be nice to me. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is a very short battle. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, 
where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Forever and ever and ever. All right? Let's read. We have one more question. Ready? Let's read to the end. Then I saw a great white throne, verse 11, and him, that be Jesus who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Ouch! Last question. What is the great white throne judgment? It's this. It simply means this. You ready? Hell, period, is, period, real, period. That's what this is. Think through this with me. We're almost done. There's a spiritual teaching that teaches universalism. What is that? Universalism teaches that Jesus died for everyone, so therefore everyone in the world is going to be saved, even if you're an atheist, you hate Jesus, doesn't matter. You completely re reject him, everybody's going to heaven. That's not what this says. Verse 12 says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The Bible does not teach universalism. The Bible teaches a great white throne judgment, and hell is real. Uh, also, here's another uh, popular teaching, annihilationism. It teaches that after death, if you're not of the saved group, then you simply cease to exist. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, teach that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says everyone not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. However, the Jehovah's Witness will come back and say those who rebel against Christ will at the end be thrown into the lake of fire. This indicates complete annihilation. In other words, when you go to the lake of fire, you'll just burn up and cease to exist. Hence, annihilationism. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Are the Antichrist and false prophet obliterated and turned into nothingness in the lake of fire? No, they are not. A thousand years later, a million years later, a trillion years later, they will still be alive in the lake of fire. And the last part of verse 10 says, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, along with all those whose names are not in the book of life. After we die comes judgment. While we have life, we have second chances and third chances and fourth chances and chance after chance. But when we die, folks, there is no other chance. This is what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 9. It is appointed to men for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. Those that know the Lord will be judged for their rewards. Those that do not know the Lord will experience this awful great white throne judgment, the place where Jesus says, the worm never dies. It's going to be forever and ever 
and ever. People get so angry at me, even in the church, when I teach that. They don't want to hear it. Would you rather hear a lie that you're just going to be annihilated and not have to worry about it, and then you end up in the lake of fire forever and ever? I would rather have you hate me and hear the truth and one day get saved than hear a lie and be cast into the lake of fire. We need to know what the truth is. It was um, uh, M.R. Dahan who said, once we have passed through the door of death, we cannot pick up our suitcase and move out because we don't like the accommodations. People often think or say, I want God to judge me according to who I am. He will. Verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. Here's what this says, and here's what this says. Here's the problem. It won't go well. And this is a warning. And people don't want to be warned. Uh, you know, I warn my children that if they go play on the freeway, it's not going to go well for them, right? Uh, I, I, I warn my daughter, don't leave the burner on the stove and, and walk out of the house. It might not go well for any of us, right? We, we, we warn, we care. If you saw a house that was burning and there was a kid that was inside and you could get in to save that kid, of course you would get in to do that, right? You're going to warn, you're going to care. Why are we so afraid to do that when it comes to uh, the, the truth of what the Bible says? Do we really care about other people or do we just say that we care about other people? Uh, I, I look at this and I think, um, uh, here's the reality of it. Uh, each person that, that says no to Jesus will stand before God just like the judgment is here and they will be judged according to the works and the standard is going to be Jesus. The standard is going to be absolute perfect righteousness. Not a person is going to be able to hold a candle to Jesus. Not a person. We all need forgiveness. Even Mary who gave birth to Jesus, you know, she said, I rejoice in God my Savior. Even Mary recognized that she needed a Savior. Jesus is our standard. This is why if you trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you will be forgiven. He's judged, so you won't be judged for your sin. If you reject Christ, then this is your judgment. And so this is a plea. Revelation chapter 20 is a plea to anybody who would hear and say, yes to Jesus, man, I need to be forgiven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your ministry to us. Uh, these words are hard. These words are true. And most people don't want to hear them. But Lord, you love us. You forgive us. And I pray for anybody in here that wants to know you, Lord. They want to know that when they die, they've been forgiven and that they have heaven. And this is a heavy, heavy passage, Lord. They don't want to be judged. Who would want to be judged for their sins? Lord, I, I pray for anybody in here, people watching online that don't know you, but that want to be forgiven and are willing to repent of their sin. Lord, I lift them up to you. If there's anybody in here now that's saying, you know what, I'm not so sure, and uh, I want to be sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't want to be judged like this. If that's you, go and slip up your hand. I'm going to pray for you tonight. God bless you. God bless you towards the back. Amen. You want to know that you're forgiven. Amen. God bless you.
God bless you too. Amen. You know what? Who on earth would want to go to hell? Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. Anybody else, go ahead and slip up your hand. The Lord Jesus Christ will forgive anybody who comes to him. Anybody who wants to say yes. Father, I lift up, amen, all the way in the back. God bless you. Father, I lift up these who raised their hands, and I pray for your ministering to them, even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen carefully. Um, this is what Jesus did, all right? For those of you who raised your hand, he offered forgiveness to anybody who would come to him, and he said, follow me. And when he said, follow me, he called anybody to him publicly and openly. And he said, if you, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, this is what happens, what we read about tonight. You'll be denied before my Father in heaven, and judgment is for you. This is a strong passage. If you want to know you're forgiven, you're saying, man, I want hell. Let this literally scare the hell out of you. That's what it's meant to do, that you would be forgiven. If you want to be forgiven, you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you want to say yes to Jesus, just stand up, come on down here, acknowledge Christ before men, and he will forgive you. Amen. Come on down. that's you, you want to say yes to Jesus, just come on forward and we'll say amen. The Lord will forgive you. bad place. Who on earth would say, yeah, I want to take my chances after you read what the Bible says? Risking what you believe according to what Jesus says. Jesus loves and he forgives, and he will forgive anybody who comes to him. That's the beauty of the Lord. doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. You say yes to Jesus, you repent of your sins, and he will forgive you. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer is commonly called the sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical in it, alright? If you pray and you mean it, the Lord will forgive you. But if you say these things and you don't mean them, then they're just meaningless words. They're not going to do you any good, but if you meet them, he'll forgive you. Here's the deal. It's a prayer of accepting Christ, admitting your sinner, and repenting. To repent, listen, it's real, the word is simple. It means to make a U-turn. To make a U-turn from your sin and surrender to the Lord. When you repent, that's what you do. You, Lord, I want to follow you. I don't want to follow myself anymore. I, I know I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven. And if you want to do that, you mean it. I'll lead you in this prayer right now. You want to do that? Amen. Well, all of you are sitting down. Let's stand up and encourage these folks. Go and pray this out loud after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I want to be forgiven. I repent of my sin and unbelief. I surrender to you as Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.